0: I'm Ava Hartling, welcome to The Brand is Female, where every week I speak with women changemakers who are redefining the rules of female leadership. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Bank Group, women entrepreneurs. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through its program of educational workshops, financing and mentorship. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. Do you ever spend time thinking about where your jeans came from and where they'll end up once you're done with them? Well, my guest in this episode did the research for you. Her freshly released book, Unraveled, The Life and Death of a Garment, published by Penguin, chronicles the entire life cycle of a pair of jeans, from the manufacturing of its yarn all the way to the landfill where it ends up, and in doing so, she exposes the broken system that is our global supply chains, as well as the fractures in our relationships to each other, to ourselves, and to the planet. Maxine Bida is the director for New Standard Institute or NSI, a nonprofit working with scientists and citizens to make the fashion industry more sustainable, ethical, and equitable. Here is our conversation. Maxine, it's a pleasure welcoming you to the Brand is Female today. I'm so glad we're getting to connect, and I will actually launch uh, right in and go with my first question, uh, taking you back in time a little bit. Growing up, what did you dream of doing later in life? Or what kind of career did you imagine having? And did you foresee that it would have anything to do with either law or fashion? Because I know you ended up venturing in, in both of those uh, areas. So wondering when, if that was already in the back of your mind as a child.
1: <laughs> um, no, is the, is the short answer. Uh, I didn't know. I, I think I had quite a hard time trying to figure out, which is probably why I went into such disparate fields. Um, what I, what I wanted to quotes do when I grow up, I think as a kid, I learned what genetic engineering was and I thought that was quite interesting. (laughs) Um, so I'm a little bit far afield from the initial plan.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm sure we can find a connection in there somewhere.
1: (laughs) Yeah, maybe. I, I think that I always was just very interested in how the world works, I think. And that is what, um, led me to law and, you know, how does one have impact? And I think, I guess it was like, how does the world work in all the different senses? How does it work in terms of like, what does a supply chain look like? You know, how do we actually get our things? And I've always loved infrastructure and kind of weird nerdy things like that. And then how does the world work in terms of people too? You know, how do we get our ideas? How do we change our ideas? How do we work together? How do we understand one another? And so. I think that is what um, kind of has been the my interest kind of winding throughout my career.
0: And I'd love for you to maybe recap your journey. So you know, we're and we're speaking today because you've recently uh, written a book, which which has been published, unraveled, and um, you launched. Uh, the uh, NSI, which I want to I want to talk about, uh, um, but there, there there was a journey taking you there. So I'm curious to know, um, and I've I've heard you in interviews talk about your past, um, or your the first part of your the first chapter of your career working in law, uh, international law to be specific. So I'd love to know what you know what brought you to the work that you do around sustainability and impact today in in fashion specifically
1: yeah so i got started you know the beginning of my career was working getting exposure to the united nations um and i i was thinking then you know it was was at the time when what is now called the the sustainable development goals was called the millennium development goals and then the millennium happened and and they were revised
0: they Uh, rebranded
1: yes (laughs) exactly um but um you know i was so lucky to be exposed to to that world um but i i remember sitting in those like big meetings thinking like but how does it all happen you know it was all very like high language and i was like but what how does it actually happen on the other side and um you know i grew up in minnesota which is uh, where the largest mall in the united states is it's the home of companies like target so I knew how things were sold to me. i was I was pretty um well versed in that, but I didn't know how things were um, were made and kind mm-hmm. of how laws were forming on the ground and so that was what mm-hmm. got me started um, you know on the in this in this journey is that i i I did kind of two different jobs at the u n one was um, kind of in college and then Uh, during law school. I was back in the, um, working in the Rwandan criminal tribunal um, in Tanzania. And and it was there, you know, on weekends, I would meander about in uh, Arusha, the town there, and I would spend a lot of my time in the markets. And I got in this habit of, um, you know, getting something and then trying to track down where it actually came from. Mm. And I, you know, um, found myself in this uh, town that was where my, the baskets that I loved that I was planning to bring home, um, where they came from. And I was, um, struck by, I, I kind of drove into the town, um, or it was a bus. So I, I went into the town and on the left side of the main street of this town were all, um, fish sellers, dried fish sellers. And on the right side, they were all basket sellers. I was like, that is so weird. Why would a town be known for like, Fish and baskets. Fish and
0: baskets.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and um, and then I realized that the town was located on the banks of a river, and that is why there was the fish, and it was also why it was the baskets, because the baskets were made by the reeds that grew next to the river. And I don't know why, like, but for me that was such an epiphany. I was like, why did I not like? Why didn't I think to make that connection? You know. Um, And why, you know, it just made me realize how kind of disconnected I was to the stuff that I have. Um, And so that, you know, just got me thinking about, like, instead of dealing with the law and kind of the outcomes of the worst atrocities, like, are there ways to work on the other side? Are there ways to improve the system so we don't have disasters? Mm. Um, And so that is, you know, that's what led into Um, my work first working with artisans and then expanding to working with you know um, artisans and in the fashion world Mm -hmm. and um, with a friend launched a company Zadie that was first a company that was supposed to be like the Whole Foods of fashion before Mm -hmm. Whole Foods was owned by Amazon right Um, (laughs) but in the initial idea of it which was about like connecting to your food and knowing the story of where it all came from And so we tried to do that with Zadie. We tried to like curate these products and then tell the story. But what happened is we couldn't find any company that like knew the full story of their Mm. own products. Mm. And so we then went to say like, okay, well, could we even do it ourselves? And so that, you know, we got deeper down into the fashion world. And as we got deeper down into it, like the more I uncovered about this, you know, crazy industry. And I was like, how am I this? you know, I think of myself as a thoughtful person, but I had no idea anything about this, the, the industry. Mm. And and then, you know, it was through that, like we started communicating with our customers at Zaidi, just kind of the small issues around impact of the industry. And we got outreach from like brands much, much larger than ours saying, thank you so much for putting this information out there. It's really helpful for me and my team and i remember thinking like wait you don't know this stuff like <laughs> i thought th- i thought the issue was that like customers that you know regular citizens didn't know it but the companies didn't know it right yeah and so that that is what then like led down the path to to the work that i'm doing today at the new standard institute is like oh we need to go a step back we need to you know if 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 i'm really looking about impact it's not going to be selling more clothes regardless of how well they are made. It's mm-hmm. about education. It's about telling the stories of the people that are hidden in the shadows of our society. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's the work of uh, new standard Institute and and the work of the book and unraveled
0: and why choose. And, and I, I can see now that there was an interest in fashion, um, which kinda, you know, led you then down the sustainability path. But, um, why choose to do this work, you know, tackling um, the the supply chain with fa- with fashion specifically and, you know, not addressing not not working on and ultimately they're all related, but, you know, oil and gas or energy in general, maybe what, um, how are you looking at the impact that fashion can have specifically when it comes to uh, reducing the environmental impact and uh, having us as humans and consumers be more connected to where our stuff comes from
1: yeah no that's a great question so i think to me what i what i think you know first i am somebody who really likes fashion um i don't like is a is a loaded word <laughs> i would say you know i'm, I'm somebody that has like a, a deep respect for um for clothing Mm -hmm. but that wasn't that wasn't the driving point you know i wasn't like i didn't grow
0: up as you know a fashionista yeah Um, yeah and and that's why i asked right because your your path didn't start yeah yeah
1: yeah. i think what i saw is the the importance that fashion has culturally for us you know it plays an enormous role in in our culture um and i understood that you know I, i think i naturally see the world in terms of systems and like there are you know like I would think about this often working at the UN they would have like this is the year of water this is the year of soil whatever and I was like you do know that outside this building nobody knows it's the year of soil right, right. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> um that's such a good point
1: <laughs> and so that's what you know like I was like if we're thinking about you know change in the environment it's you can't you can't just work in the energy sector. You have to see like, what are the energy sectors? What are the products that they are producing? Mm -hmm. And how is that engaging with regular people? And so that is what, you know, led me into this, into the fashion spaces. This is a thing we all engage with. Mm -hmm. We have no idea the impact that it has. Um, And it's also then can really help us understand not just the impact of our genes, Mm but, you know, why we need to, Focus on alternative energy, you know, why we need to address racial justice. Mm-hmm. It's through this, like, very non political object, you can, you know, tell the
0: story of the mm-hmm. world. Yeah, absolutely. That makes so much sense. And <clears throat> with the creation of, of the New Standard Institute, um, I'm curious to know how, because I. I think a lot of women have um, a desire to be activists, and you know activism can play out in in different ways, obviously. but uh, when we're looking to create that impact, it's it's the road that you've uh, taken with NSI. And how was that received at first? and did it feel did it feel like you were accomplishing what you had set out to do when you first created the institute? And you know what was that journey like leading to now, basically? yeah so
1: i so first kind of just to back up is that i i am on the older side of of the millennial generation and you know growing up and like going to school and you know throughout undergrad and, and law school the message that was pushed on me i would say and on uh, my um uh, classmates was like that business was how you solve world problems Mm, and I remember even um in pitching um Zadie to investors like I really you know remember having these um presentations where we would say like yes maybe our parents generation like they thought that marching changed the world but like we know that that doesn't do anything it's through business and I was like I look on that back on that. I'm like, that is crazy. <laughs> you know, that was I was re- kind of repeating the messages that were being you know um, presented to me um, in this very sort of like neoliberal you know framework of how the world operates. Mm. And when I went and then did that business, I realized like, wait a minute, it's actually the laws that are you know what drive our society um, and culture too, but our laws. And if we don't know that, we're in big trouble.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that, you know, it was that kind of evolution in my own thinking that, you know, led me to do work in this nonprofit um education, you know, space. But it was it wasn't easy because at the time certainly was like a far less prestigious thing to do you know and so
0: yeah Yeah, it's a little bit trendier today
1: yeah it's much trendier today but at the time they're like why you have this like hyped vc back brand company like what are you doing Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know and and even like from before that doing this you know venture back company like leaving law which is you know in the the immigrant family that i come from like that's the prestigious thing you go do. So I I kept like just leaving these prestigious things to go do things that look just like entirely nutty. (laughs) I've been there. I'm very
0: familiar with that process too. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. (laughs) My parents being like, what are we, what have, what has happened to you? Um, But, you know, so it wasn't, it wasn't an, it was not an easy thing. It was not the trendy, you know, I didn't take a trendy path. It has happened to become a lot trendier now, which is great. Um, but it wasn't, it, it wasn't, um, an easy one, but it just felt like the necessary one.
0: Mm. And were there, um, and maybe it came later, but were there other organizations that you looked looked up to or <clears throat> role models who were maybe doing something, something similar in the same field or a different field altogether? Uh, Kirsten, if there was someone or something that was an inspiration. Uh, for your work?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's so many like people and organizations that, that I admire and there are you know, I'm most admiring of the, you know, generation that is coming up now that, you know, this, uh, work is just like in their blood, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, True. and in their air, you know, in the air they breathe. Um, you know, I, I, there were individuals at organizations that I, um, that I looked up to, but I even saw, you know, at the time um, that some of the, you know, big nonprofits that I was looking into, even the environmental ones were like, I don't know, felt a little bit captured by corporate interest.
0: For sure. Um,
1: mm-hmm. So it wasn't, it, I didn't like feel that there was like, oh, I just have to, model mm. nsi after like x organization it was like taking pieces from different you know individuals uh along the way
0: and and it's always interesting how sometimes we get more from seeing what's not working uh, in in other organizations or with different ap- approaches and then refining our own take on on things from there
1: yep yeah absolutely
0: um i it, as I was preparing for this interview, I listened to a podcast uh, that you gave. It must have been at the at the start of the of the pandemic, and it was quite interesting because you, uh, I think you had gone on a trip to Minnesota, and then you ended up getting stuck in Minnesota, probably because of travel restrictions. And you were talking about living from your high school closet, mm-hmm. um, which, and you know, you had something like three sweaters and a pair of pants in your in your suitcase. So that brings me to ask you, and and that's a very interesting reflection around you know the the how we're we're addicted and used to over consuming and having all of the options, including in our closet. Um, I'm curious to know what is your own approach to choosing what you consume and what you, you know, select for your own closet? And at the same time, kind of answering the question, um what kind of changes should we be making as consumers so that we can do our part, right? because we're we're not all um at the helm. Of a fashion industry we don't necessarily control uh, supply chain but i think consumers can can play a, a, a big role but i'm kind of making that parallel to your own experience because i'm curious to know how that plays out for you and also knowing that you have an interest in fashion which as we know often leads us to consuming even more things and things that we don't necessarily need sorry i packed a lot in there no but. no,
1: we can we can, un- <laughs> we can unpack it together sounds good <laughs> so first you know in terms of my own Um, closet in my own, um, my own wardrobe, what I, I really tried to spend time and, and this was kind of the start of it for me was like, I had this closet overflowing with clothing and this feeling like I had nothing to wear. And I was like, what is this? This is exhausting. Like, it doesn't make me feel good. What is happening here? And so I just spent time going like, I, it wasn't in this apartment, it was in the previous apartment that I lived in. And I took out like all my clothes. And I, you know, I put them into the piles of like, these are the things I find I'm wearing. And this is the percentage, you know, the far larger percentage that I am not and it um, I think, you know, that initial those piles match the piles that um, the, the data that there is that women wear about 20% of their wardrobe um and so you know I then like just studied what is it that I actually feel comfortable in why I looked at the tags I understood what then like the materials meant um and I began to understand that like oh wait a minute the stuff that I tend to wear is like our natural fibers like why is that oh it's because it I think it feels better than the other stuff that I have um and you know I just like understood like cuts of clothing and like why they feel you know make me feel better on my body things like that and that was just such an empowering you know process to go through because it wasn't like getting pushed messages of what I should be purchasing it was um, you know, like much more about me and my own style and what I'm trying to say and like my own body, um, my own body shape and like dressing for that. And so, you know, that's like, you know, I think if, if people wanna be thoughtful, it's it's to, you know, go through that process and then like really think about like, what do you really love? And mm-hmm. and it's, you know, I think the, the, the book, um, it's not like don't buy anything ever again. It's not to, you know, to yeah. to guilt one. It's actually an invitation to like love your clothes for the first time, you know? And mm-hmm. if there's something that you really love, then like get that thing and enjoy that thing and get the joy out of it. Um because, you know, beyond like any marketing claim of sustainability, the biggest driver by far of resource reduction is how often, you know, how many times you're wearing the clothes. Um, And that, you know, so I think, like, that's the message, you know, that I want to convey is like, love your clothes, that's going to be the most sustainable, like way into it. And that can happen at, you know, virtually any price point. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's going to be doing things sustainably. Um, And then in terms of like, what, people can do. I think first it's interesting to note like the word choices that we use in this. So Mm. you talked about consumers, right? Like what can consumers do? What can we Mm -hmm. as consumers do? Um, And I think I um, have started to consciously say people, citizens, um, Mm. because even the use of that word, which we've been trained to use in this context, triggers these purchase like and right. I spoke to a, to a psychologist about that that is um, so interesting yeah because yeah. we're,
0: we're reducing humans yep. to just their consumption yep. aspect. yeah
1: exactly so and and that's the real like thrust of the book is you know it, it it charts you know historically how we got to this place and what to me was one of the most fascinating parts of the research for the book was just how conscious of a political um, policy choice it was starting in the 1950s to, and actually even before then, to get citizens to see themselves as consumers first. Mm -hmm. And it was this like really scary, anti-democratic small D um, drive to distract the masses. Like this sounds fake, but this is real. There's like actual, you know, quotes um you know from the people who said it at the time um but that it was this way to distract the masses so that they didn't get involved in politics and policy and like that's how we've gotten to where we are so no you're like you know the average person is not running a nonprofit working you know on sustainability policy um but you can have a, a very large voice in you know, voicing your demands and, you know, signing the petitions and, you know, joining us on NSI and on the other organizations that are working on these issues. And that is our role, you know? Um, And Mm -hmm. I think like, to me, I think about like habits instead of that like habit of going shopping that I, you know, when I spoke to a lot of shoppers for the book, we can kind of switch out those habits to like, this is the time I'm gonna gauge in, you know, having my voice heard with companies or, you know, directly with legislators by signing petitions mm-hmm. and things like that. That's how we can make the progress that we need to make. And mm-hmm. it's entirely possible. Like to me, the most fun part of the research was speaking to historians, mm-hmm. you know, and when the, when you have a longer view, you're like, what we live in right now is not an inevitability, right? It was like people made these choices. And that's how we got here. And if we make different ones, we change it. Like that's yeah. how it works. <laughs> that's how the world works. Um,
0: so yeah, go ahead. I was going to suggest a funny anecdote because I was listening to one interview you were giving while driving back to my house last night. And I, as you were speaking, I was driving through this um, uh, just small bridge. Anyway, there was a a, a graffiti on the wall that literally said they were, and it, it's in French. I live in Montreal, but some somebody wrote, um, "Save the planet, you assholes," <laughs> and it was just like a very timely thing as you were talking about the role that citizens can play, right?
1: <laughs> exactly. They they said it maybe in a more direct or direct way than I than I would. <laughs>
0: This season of The Bren Is Female is made possible with the support of TD Bank group Women Entrepreneurs. Confidently building your business takes sound advice, plus guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaboration-based approach. They work with both internal and external partners who can provide education, financing, mentorship, and community support. TD employees are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. They can facilitate and connect with workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way so we can share experiences and learn from each other. Do
1: you ever wonder what goes on behind the scenes of your favorite homegrown films and TV shows? Well, it's time to pop some popcorn, go behind the camera and meet the people who are making it happen. I'm Mariska Fernandez, host of the Maple Popcorn Podcast. In this new series, you will discover exclusive interviews with Canadian icons and hear them talk about Canadian flicks and even break the fifth wall to share set anecdotes. This podcast is produced by The Brand is Female and powered by Telefilm Canada. Subscribe now on the podcast app of your choice and don't miss an episode. Stay in the know by visiting telefilm.ca
0: slash see it all. And it's interesting because I think what you're bringing up is really, and it's a change in our mindsets, like flipping that switch from considering ourselves as consumers and realizing that we're citizens and that comes that comes with responsibility too right um and there's an article that just came out i think a day or so ago in in business of fashion around around you in the, in the book and um in there you talk about how it's actually governments that are going to make that change happen but we play a role as citizens and how government makes decisions so the, the you know that's that's the link that's how we get involved right
1: yeah exactly and I, it was interesting that there was a lot of chatter in the business of fashion comments on social media about it, you know, on who was responsible. I didn't yeah. choose the, the title of the piece. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and I, you know, it was funny that or it was very interesting to me that people in the comments saw it as, these things as mutually exclusive like if it's government then it's not the people and it's either brands people or the government it's like no we all operate in this system together and um and you know we people were like hating on the government I was like well then it's your responsibility to change it like that's you know that's the democracy in which uh, we hopefully live in um so yeah we have to kind of see the the systems in which we exist in I think
0: and And I think a lot of the a lot of the issues around our environmental challenges come from that disconnection, right? We forget that we're all part of this one system and we're all one people. Um and it's the same with nature. We're so disconnected to nature. And this yes. makes me think I was just speaking to Chrissy Beskoskes from Chrissy Dawn last week. um and her approach of of farm to closet is exactly that. Yeah, we can grow our clothes the same way we grow our food and n- know where where they come from. Um but it's it's like a complete rewiring of um of our mindset around how stuff gets you know created and passed on to us,
1: yeah. And what's cool to see is like these shifts happen in big leaps, right? Like we're seeing one right now with resale, where in you know, when I was younger, which is not that long ago, um, like buying things secondhand was like, ooh, I don't know about that. And now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's cool. Like there was the article in the New York times, like people, the young generation, like make fun of people who don't shop secondhand. And I think so, like we can have these like big, you know, I think people are beginning, you know, to wake up to the enormous social and climate crisis that, you know, we're living in. Um, and so I think these, these changes can be abrupt, um, which I think is exciting and necessary.
0: Yeah. And we're certainly feeling um, the brunt the brunt of that abrupt change as a result of the past uh, now fourteen months, if not more, of the, of you know the reality in the pandemic. So yep. I can't not ask you the question: How is the pandemic um, helping or hindering this this change that um, we are seeing uh, in terms of addressing the impact of supply chain and maybe looking at fashion specifically? I think we did see that. I, I like to say that, you know, global consciousness has been elevated a little bit. People are connecting the dots because we saw how disrupted our supply chains were at the onset of the pandemic. But we also see now that people are kind of going back to some of their old habits. Um, so what what's your take on that, you know, progress or are we going backwards or is it is it helping advance the conversation at all? And and I think ultimately we saw inequities, um, you know, be placed under a spotlight, not just with supply chain, but with things like health inequities, racial inequities, which certainly helps advance the conversation at least. But I'd love your take on all that.
1: Yeah, no, I um, I remember listening to um, a friend of mine, her podcast during just after the murder of George Floyd, and I was in Minneapolis at the at the time of the, um, murder. And, um, my friend who is a professor is, was a a former classmate of mine. And, you know, this was when there was, you know, people marching on the streets around the world. And she was saying, don't let this be the thing that we do. Like, if we don't change the laws, we're not doing anything. We're just walking. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that like, it's a a hard thing to respond to because in this, you know, in in the same way, there was a lot of coverage of how garment workers, you know, how brands were not paying their invoices for products that had already been delivered. They were canceling orders. And so drawing attention to the issue is the first necessary step, but it isn't the end. It's the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that we really do need to focus on, okay, like now we know that these are the issues, like this is how we address racial injustice. These are the rules that need to be put in place. This is, these are the rules that need to be put in place for addressing our supply chain, um, you know, issues. These are the rules that need to be put in place for, you know, taxation and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the ills of our society. And so that's, really now the the work of NSI is focusing on that policy. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we need we need support and you know, we need signatures, we need, you know, people talking about and communicating about this. Um, because that's gonna be the thing that's not just like, oh I read this thing and now I feel like more informed. Mm-hmm. Like it's we need to do stuff, do you know, do the things after we've been informed. Mm-hmm.
0: Playing our role as citizen, basically. Exactly. <laughs> <And> exactly. <laughs> I I think what what brings me hope is I think there's been kind of a, for, at least for part of the population there's been kind of that um, that realization that being we can be activists as individuals yep. and so that's probably the the plus side of social media. There's a lot of there's a lot of bad sides to social media, but that's one of the positive impacts it can have, right? And we saw that following uh, the murder of George Floyd and more recently with the trial. Uh, people are speaking up now. And um, I think a lot of people are asking the question, "To what can I do? And yep. that's a, that's a good place to start, at least.
1: No. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think it's this is what I would say. It's created an, a, a, a really significant opening for an opportunity for change. But unless we do the work, it's not going to change, yes. you know, and, and I see that, like, if we just look kind of within the fashion space and the New York Times has done some really good coverage on this. Um, that, you know, with all of the brands that talked about the support of Black Lives Matter and racial justice, like if you actually see if they've changed their you know diversity of their boards or if they've actually gone and done the things that you know, would be a reflection that they are addressing their the racial injustice within their own companies. It doesn't you know, they're not Um, so, you know, like it creates that opening. But then we 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 have to take that role of citizenship on so that we can turn that into action.
0: Yeah. And keep keep companies accountable and then pressure the government to put the right uh, uh, system in place and policy in place. Yeah, exactly. Kind of, kind of going back to to the book for a second, and you spent two years uh, traveling around the world to to research, which which sounds really fun. Now that we're we haven't been able to travel for a few months, so I'm uh, <laughs> curious to know, um, you know, what were some experiences that maybe surprised you? Things that you discovered that you maybe were not aware of? Something that you know, kind of unexpected and if if anything unexpected happened on on that journey for you and that maybe inspired part of the book
1: yeah definitely so i mean i think that um the thing that was a bit odd in this journey is i had a kid through it so i was uh, i was pregnant the first half and then um the second half i had a um a young child she didn't travel she didn't travel with me except (laughs) when she was in my stomach um uh, But so I, you know, I I start, I, the, the research trip, um, like was the same path as the genes themselves. So I started my research in Texas at the, on the cotton farms. Um, and you know, there it was just like going down to West Texas, um, where the, the, you know, that chapter of, of cotton, of the cotton world is focused. And just meeting the, you know, meeting the people, meeting the farmers who are working the land every day, just gave me like, you know, I remember speaking to um, Carl Pepper, the organic farmer that I uh, followed. And he was, you know, it was a, he was wanting to pray for rain for the next day. And like, I don't know, just seeing how connected that industry is to nature. You know, we, we like are so far removed from that, it's like, I don't know. The only thing is like, did I remember my umbrella today? And like, (laughs) that's only because I'm in New York and I'm like, have to walk, but you know, mostly growing up, it was like, you don't actually have to engage with the weather that much and you can like be in control of your own domain. And so to see like this, you know, a a job and a, and a work that is like still so tied to, you know, mother nature was just like very, I don't know, transformative for, for me. And like, Further, just cemented like this idea that we have to get really reconnected with, you know, the roots of things. Mm. Um, so that, you know, seeing like the the challenges of that, um, you know, was very interesting. And then going to China, a, a couple of things. One is just, I wish I could just transport everybody there because, like, I know it is talked about in books, like just the, the rise like of China, but. You go in the trains and you will see entire cities, like huge cities being built at the same time. Like mm-hmm. it's just the scale of things is just so hard to even like fathom without being there. And, and then I think when we hear about like labor conditions, we hear about it like from Bangladesh, from, you know, Vietnam. And we never like even though um, China is still the largest you know apparel producer globally we don't tend to hear about it in china mm-hmm. um and that is because there was so much secrecy there m- more so than i um was anticipating um it was just you know you you like i met up with a labor organizer and like he only told me where he was gonna be like the 30 minutes before he was going to be there. And it was like some weird hotel room, like in some random town. And like, Mm. you know, it was just very hard to have an open conversation because there was a real concern um, that, you know, the government was like listening in. So Mm -hmm. um, that I think was surprising. And then in like I went from China to Bangladesh and then finally to Ghana and like it was a progression of like at each place I thought this was the dirtiest place that I've ever been like the rivers, you know, and I was following, like I was in industrial, um, cities making, you know, that are responsible for making and getting rid of our clothes. So, you know, it was just mm-hmm. these rivers that were black. And I remember like I was, um, in China, um, walking around with an environmentalist and he, you know, like we were in front of this, like oil glistening, glisten river that was just black. And like my eyes were burning and he was telling me like, this was a clean river. And I was like, what? This is not a clean river. Um, yeah. And, and then like successively then going to Bangladesh and then going to Ghana, I was like, Oh, that, I mean, in the scale of things, it was like, things can get even worse than that Mm -hmm. um and so that i think was um you know something i like just that kind of level of you know the the industry is like it has moved not it has moved that's a passive voice it has been moved Mm -hmm. elsewhere Mm -hmm. um you know i don't have the stats for for canada but um I would imagine it's similar, um, in the 1960s, 95% of what, um, Americans wore was American made and today that is less than 2%. So it's this whole massive sea change that has happened and we just like, don't see this, you know, enormous impact that our clothes and, you know, and the other things that we engage with in our lives, like the impact that it has, but once you, are in there, and you see it, and you feel mm-hmm. it. You know, with your eyes, um, it's a you know, it's a hard thing to not see
0: again and not know. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting hearing you say that. I in my in my previous life, I spent a, a decade in, in the jewelry industry in the luxury industry, and we would always get asked a question. And as you know, the Kimberly process and the certification mm-hmm. for ethical you know diamonds. Mm, yeah. And and then, you know, people were really excited at the prospect of buying an ethical and to a certain extent, you know, low impact or sustainable diamond. And then I always had to explain, listen, there, no diamond is going to be clean ever. Mining is one of the most destructive activities on the planet. and there's a parallel with fashion. It's like making clothes the way we're used to is one of the most destructive activities on the planet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's an apt uh, parallel because we're you know, that's like the selling point of sustainable, you know, marketed as sustainable uh, fashion is like it becomes this dichotomy in our head of like, oh, if it has this marketing label, like then we're good. Um, when what that only means is like the company is working in some way and we don't know what, to what degree to try to reduce some impact somewhere. Um, but you know, it, we're not growing trees. Um, exactly. it's like, it's just an enormously energy intensive, resource intensive, um,
0: object yeah. to create. Yeah, and then the disposal of it causes, you know, harm again.
1: Yeah, I mean the disposal on the, the other side, I think, you know, sitting like I I went to the the landfill um just outside of Accra in Ghana where a lot of our uh second hand clothing ends up um and you know, it was burning at the, the whole landfill actually burnt down while I was there because um what was had an issue that was supposed to be in one part because in part, because of all of our extra clothing had, um, uh, all of the like measurements to make the landfill safe had been removed because there was just this inundation of clothing. And so the entire landfill then ended up burning to the ground. Um, but you know, as I was like literally running away from the fire, (laughs) um, and thinking to myself, like, these are great pictures, but this would be a really dumb way to die. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> <exactly>. <laughs>
0: burning down with old clothes from, from North America. Yeah.
1: yeah it's just like dumb. <laughs> um, and so, you know, like just thinking about that, just, you know, having that be my last stop and, and having it so clear in my mind, like all the resources that have gone into creating things you know, to only spend a brief moment in our closet to end up, you know, like this,
0: um, like what is Mm -hmm. it all for? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, jumping to a slightly different topic, but a question I had for you. So it strikes me and I I don't have stats, but you know, a a lot of activists, uh, when it comes to environmental stewardship and and conservation, I mean, a lot of women are involved. And it's sometimes said that women are going to be the ones, you know, saving the planet. Um, Do you think that's true? and, and, And why do you think that is?
1: Um, so I never like to go into generalizations, but having said that, <laughs> um, I was just uh, actually speaking to our mutual friend Carrie Ellen yesterday about this, uh, about this topic. And I do think there, there is something, you know, maybe because of misogyny and we're like trained to, you know, take into account other people's feelings. Um, and to, you know, to, to be humble and to try to work cooperatively. Like that is what we need, you know, right, right now. Like we need to be able to, um, cooperate in a way that we never have had to before. Mm. Um, and I, you know, I think there is a lot that humble like leadership can do and that women are like particularly well equipped to do that. So, I do actually think that women can play an important role or maybe we need to you know teach all of our mm-hmm. children to be raised in the same way that that young girls are or at least the mm-hmm. good parts the good parts that we get, not the, like, all the doubting and everything else. That yeah, yeah ex- <laughs> Exactly. Bo- body shaming and everything yeah. else. Um, so we, yeah, let's, just, drop, just, let's
0: drop all that part. <laughs> yeah, just the positive healing, cooperative, nurturing exactly. side. Yeah.
1: Exactly. We'll, 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 <laughs> we'll stick with that. Um, but I, I do think that it, it um, we need that type of leadership now to, I think, get to this place, like, it's not just about advocacy, right? Like we, there are there are questions that are super difficult to answer that we need to just like, have less of an ego about and just like, come up with these solutions. For example, as a society, you know, I think we need to have resources and jobs have traditionally provided those resources. Well, jobs, you know, tend to end up creating things and the things use resources that, and, and, you know, when you speak to the scientists, they all say we are consuming, you know, our products at a far faster rate than the planet can actually sustain. Um, But we still need those jobs, right? Like, you know, companies are at the moment framed to maximize growth, which is what funds, some people's pension plans, you know, and their retirement. And so like, we need to get into that uncomfortable space of like, how do we rethink this? So should, does that mean like, actually, maybe we shouldn't have our retirement based off of stock prices. Like maybe, you know, we should think of a different model. Like I don't have the answer to that, but I think that, you know, women can create that space to say like, I don't know, let's try to you know let's try to find that answer together
0: yeah and and let's try a different approach right based on different values that we've been using up till now yep um i remember an early this this i don't know this was like 20 years ago but one of the first time i i heard david suzuki speak uh, david suzuki the, the environmentalist and he spoke about the only in nature the only organism that reproduces at the same speed as our corporations in North America are bacteria. <laughs> and, yeah, that, and that, that, that stayed that with is me. Perfect.
1: That, yeah, that's that good. is that will stay with me too. Yeah. No
0: and right. actually, maybe it wasn't even. It may have been like viruses. It was something even yeah, more it was harmful. Like a virus. Like yeah. harmful <laughs> bacteria, not the good yeah, type yeah. of bacteria. Yeah,
1: not the good ones. Yeah. <laughs> Not that gut bacteria. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> and I guess, um, I mean, I could I could keep chatting on forever. I have so many questions for you, but um, the last question I'll ask you today is, um, I always ask my guests uh, this one on, on, on all my interviews, and what do you wish women would do less of, or something that they would do more of, and I used to just ask what they would do more of until it was very wisely pointed out to me that women do enough as it is, I should ask what what can we take away from our plates?
1: Yeah, that is a good one um, it It's a hard question to answer because I you know I do go back to the structural things that we need to adjust um, in society so that women don't have to take so much on um, you know and not see it as like. a a moment of like personal growth, but I, I do, I think it's both. I think like there are things that we can try to change within ourselves. And then there are things that we change within the system as well. Um, and I think that this seems almost cliche, but it's still like very apt in my world, which is at a seat at a table, like men are, you know, more trained to just say what they think and not, you know, be concerned about how they are perceived. And I remember like giving my first like public speech and I was terrified like I grew up. I remember like growing up, I was too scared to like order pizza because I feared the judgment of the person on the other end of the phone.
0: I'm Um, I'm with you. I have the same. I don't know if it's social anxiety, shyness. I have the same thing.
1: Yeah. Okay. so I had Yeah, I can relate. You can relate. That's good. Like, so I, you know, I remember just like freaking out and, um, you know, as my boss at the time, she was so great. And she's like, you know, Maxine, what you just have to remember is like, go back to the message that you are trying to get across. Keep it in your head about that, that you're in there to convey a message And that helped me so much because it was then like less about me and like, how are people judging me and more like, okay, I need to get this, Mm -hmm. this thing across. Mm -hmm. And so I, um, I think, you know, in what can women do more and less of is like trying to have that less doubt, um, you know, about judgment of others and and do more of just like focusing in on the message Mm -hmm. and then change all the structures and laws of why we have so much work to do to begin with.
0: (laughs) That's great. We've got a doing less and a doing more of. There we go. Perfect. Great answer. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Maxine. We'll pick up a a copy. We'll link up uh, the Unraveled, uh, your book that just came out. Congratulations for all your work. And it was great uh, hearing from you today.
1: Thank you so much. It was so nice to talk to you.
0: My pleasure. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. And if you did, as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review wherever that is possible. Thank you to TD Bank Group, women entrepreneurs, for the support of The Brannies Female. You've got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebranniesfemalecom podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you for listening. I'll be back in a week with a new guest.